2: Hey, it's Tony and Jenny Bruschi from Real Ghost Stories Online, and we need your help with something. What's that? Keeping our show on the air. As the show grows, so do the costs of producing it and distributing the audio of Real Ghost Stories Online, the very thing that you listen to, probably on a regular basis. So if you listen to the show regularly, we ask you to become an EPP. That's an extra podcast person. We'll give you even more episodes of Real Ghost Stories Online to listen to in exchange for your support.
3: It's only $5 a month, and you can sign up at realghoststoriesonline.com.
2: Your support is what keeps our show going. Plus, we'll give you access to all of the past EPP bonus episodes of Real Ghost Stories Online, jam-packed with some of the creepiest stories we've ever gotten in, and exclusively for EPPs. More than 30 full episodes.
3: Thanks for helping keep Real Ghost Stories Online on the air.
2: Without your support, the show couldn't go on. Sign up now to be an EPP, extra podcast person, on the website at realghoststoriesonline.com. And thank you.
1: Welcome to
0: Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You're about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is
2: Real Ghost Stories Online. And on tonight's episode, could it be that a woman had a vision of her own death right before it happened? While plotting a haunted prank on their friends, two people find that they may be the haunted ones. Would being slapped by an invisible hand make you a believer in ghosts? Yet after caring for an elderly neighbor's haunted home, a family finds something may have come home with them. Those stories, your calls, and more tonight on Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruschi joining you once again. How are you? I am doing well, and yourself? I'm good i'm uh, I'm excited the the first uh, headline story is uh, kind of interesting to me I was looking at it and i'm 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 trying to plot this through my mind a little bit where maybe it's not the first one yeah it is the first one uh, could it be a woman that had a vision of her own death right before it happened how do we know that story then if she died
3: there were witnesses okay that's all I will say
2: okay well that answers that question then Interesting. I'm excited to uh, to hear that story here. And of course, we got to some good calls tonight as well. If you have a real ghost story you'd like to share with us, you can call it in at 855-853-4802. Uh, you can also uh, write it anytime you want on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. So several ways for you to get your real ghost stories to us. We would absolutely love to hear them. We will uh, kick off the show tonight. Uh, we'll go to a, that that is that the very first story? It is. All right. I'm excited. It's uh, Raleigh writes in. Hello, Brewskies. I've been debating whether or not to submit this story of mine for quite a while. Not because I'm nervous about doing so, but more so because I'm possibly the least sensitive person currently living. Hence, I have no experiences of my own to share. That said, paranormal sensitivity seems to manifest in extremes in my family, either a whole heap or nothing at all. However, for those who do experience things, rather than being empaths or spiritual mediums, most of the paranormal activity in my family, excluding one great-grandfather who happened to be a hobbyist, what was this, a, a, a necromancer?
3: Necromancer.
2: What is a necromancer? That's something to do with death. Is it like romance on death?
3: Tries to talk to dead people.
2: Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I. That's That sounds like a fun hobby. <laughs> Tends to revolve around dreams, specifically dreams that are somehow prophetic in nature. Get ready, Tony. I know how much you love dream stories, although it's not necessarily mine to tell. I've come up with the woodwork to share with you the strange story. Of Mrs. Yvette. Mrs. Yvette was very much involved with my maternal family in Belize for years. She had been a close family friend and the dearest friend of my ailing grandmother. As Grandma Frost got older, her health declined steeply. At age 73, she suffered a severe stroke, which paralyzed the left side of her body and obliterated a significant amount of her cognition and awareness. She, who had once been sharp-witted, hard-working, now tragically spent her days in the haze of distant confusion. But even though she did not recognize the majority of us by then, she still knew Mrs. Yvette as her closest friend. Mrs. Yvette was happy to take on the role of the primary caregiver. She'd come over every day, bathe her, dress her, paint her nails, fix her hair. She would set out her afternoon tea, all the while chatting animatedly about life, love, children, just like they used to. Grandma would smile with the right side of her mouth, and that's how we knew she was happy. As the story goes, one day, Mrs. Yvette came to my mother and her siblings and announced completely out of the blue that she would be leaving the following day to go live with her daughter in Texas, that she had no plans to return. Everyone was shocked, hurt, and infuriated that she would up and leave my sick and elderly grandmother so abruptly and without any apparent regard for what would become of her afterward. But sure enough, before they could stop her or even ask why, Mrs. Yvette set off across the country to get to Texas where her daughter lived. It was necessary to take a long coach bus across the Belize-Mexico border through Mexico and across the border again into the U.S., at some point of the night during that long coach ride, though, through the wild, dark, Mrs. Yvette, who had been sleeping, suddenly woke with a start and began to panic. She ran to the front of the bus and demanded the driver stop and let her off. The driver refused, and rationally so. They were driving down a deserted road in Mexico in the dead of night, far from any towns or villages. It would be irresponsible to let her go. She returned to her seat visibly troubled, but within minutes... She was back at the front again, imploring that the driver let her off the bus. For perhaps half an hour, she pled and begged, eventually breaking down, sobbing that she had to get off the bus. Still, the driver remained firm and refused to allow her to disembark. The next day, we received a phone call from Texas. Mrs. Yvette was dead. Seems that at some point during the night, the driver of the bus had fallen asleep at the wheel and the vehicle had veered off the road, resulting in a terrible crash. While many of the passengers made it out of the wreck, injured but alive, both the driver and Mrs. Yvette were among those killed in the accident. The account of her crying and begging to be let off the bus came directly from the remaining passengers, most of all whom corroborated the story without fail when questioned by authorities in Texas, where they were taken for medical attention. Assuming the passenger's account is true and Mrs. Yvette wasn't the victim of some grand-scale homicide conspiracy, the stories always made me wonder, did she know exactly what was going to happen to her? Did the knowledge really come to her in a dream? Was her death at all avoidable? Or was it maybe some sort of twisted karmic punishment for abandoning my grandmother? I guess only she'd have been able to say for sure, but now the only truths are gone with her, lost to the shifting sands of the Mexican desert. That's my story. I'm sorry, I had nothing better or more overtly ghostly to share. I'm sorry this got long and uh, pretentiously verbose. Uh, In the future, I'll try to contribute better material, provided I can get haunted enough to do so. I'm moving into an old Victorian house soon, and if I wake up to ghosts in my kitchen, you'll be the first to know. P.S., I'm a near-religious listener to the show, and if I weren't a broke university student, I'd become an EPP in a heartbeat. Thanks for feeding my insatiable appetite for Supernatural. And keep on truckin'. Raleigh. I think it was a great story. It was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. And and I, I'd love to know what it was she was actually dreaming about. It, was it one of those things where she did actually have a dream of of the bus crashing, if you will? Uh-huh. Or was it one of those things where it was just, like we were talking about the other day, just information that kind of gets downloaded to you and you don't know why, but you have the urge to do said thing, and her said thing, obviously, in that case, was get off the bus.
3: I don't know why, but I kind of have a feeling that she saw it in a dream. Okay. And my reasoning for that is she went up front, and she was very upset wanting off the bus Mm -hmm. right after she woke up. Went back to her seat. I think she saw something between the time she went back to her seat and when she went up to the front of the bus the second time. In real life, she saw something in real life that she had maybe seen in that dream that made her realize that she foresaw what was going to happen.
2: Like her dead on the side of the bus? No,
3: maybe just like a passenger on the bus doing something that she happened to notice in her dream, and she might have seen that passenger doing that.
2: Okay. You see what I'm saying? And that would have
3: freaked her out enough to head back up to the front of the bus. Mm
2: hmm This is all
3: just a guess, but...
2: Sure, well, I mean, it's all speculation, but it's an interesting, you know, just just to try and figure out exactly what was going through her mind.
3: Something spooked her enough to go back up a second time. Most rational adults would have gone up once, I want off the bus, I'm not, I'm not okay, I went off the bus.
2: And, and, you know, she's probably, you know, a, a rational enough person to know that if she gets off that bus... She's going to the desert in Mexico by herself. Right. So she went
3: back to her seat, and then something freaked her out enough to go back up front.
2: That's interesting. I mean, she that being in the desert would have been a better Mm -hmm. than whatever the possibility was. Like, it was a pretty for sure thing, I think, in her mind, that nothing good was going to come out of what was going on on that bus. So
3: I would say she, you know, that's my opinion. I think she saw what was going to happen.
2: Yeah. Very interesting story. Thank you for writing that into us. Lindsay writes, in my family, like many families has a uh, smattering of stories involving the unexplainable that span both sides and several generations. But as far as I've been able to see, none of them shed any light on what exactly it was I saw when I was about seven or eight years old. I'll come right out and say this story is not particularly scary, but it has been hands down the biggest mystery of my life. My sister and I are both avid consumers of paranormal stories and information, but I've uh, yet to come across anything that sounds like what I saw. I hope you or other listeners might be able to help me out with this. Anyway, on with the story. My sister Jamie is a year and five months younger than I am. She's the one that turned me on to your show, and we get along wonderfully now, but as kids, we were constantly messing with and annoying each other. On one such day, we were purposely antagonizing, she was purposely antagonizing me, and I chose to just run away to escape her instead of attempting to shut her up. To escape her, I ran into the bathroom and quickly shut the door behind me. There was no lock on the door. Weird, right? But the toilet sat right next to the door, parallel, so I could sit on the lid and hold the door closed with my knee, which I did. Jamie tried to force the door open, but lost interest in trying to get in pretty quickly. I very distinctly heard her join our dad outside of the barbecue through the high little window above the shower, which had been cranked partially open. There were the only other people that lived there with me, and no one else was over that day. Quickly, I'll explain the layout of the house. The bathroom was at one end of a very, very short hallway, and our bedroom was at the direct opposite end. The door to our father's room was to the right, and the door that led to the living room was to the left. All these doors were wide open at the time, aside from obviously the bathroom anyway in the spirit of unnecessary caution I moved my knee a little and cracked the door to make sure the coast was actually clear it was as I peeked out the door that I saw it the only way I can think to describe it as a black mass but that really doesn't convey the right image at all it was small but long like some kind of snake whose form never managed to completely solidify into a constrained shape and stayed a good three feet off the ground It was so fast, could very well describe it as a black streak, not just a blur of color, but something solid that had substance. This thing hurtled around the corner of my bedroom doorway, flew lightning quick down the hall, and then, this is the only thing that kept me from telling myself it wasn't real later on, it struck the bathroom door before streaking out of the living room. I sat there for a minute, stunned, confused, but unafraid, trying to... Uh, uh, praise uh, what had, or uh, uh, peruse what had just had happened. Immediately, I wanted to uh, question the idea that it had happened at all. The thing that had struck the door with enough force that it had actually moved and bumped softly against my thigh. I remember the sensation of the painted wood against my skin sticking slightly in the summer heat, too vividly to dismiss it. After a minute, I got up, walked out, checked my room, nothing, checked the living room, nothing. I even checked my bedroom windows to make sure the screens hadn't come off and some kind of bird had gotten in, but everything was as it should be. I checked the entire house, which took all of two minutes because the house was incredibly small. There was absolutely nothing in the house except for me. I walked outside with that weird feeling where everything suddenly seems totally surreal and joined my dad and my sister at the barbecue. I remember very calmly relaying the story to them, though I can't for the life of me remember what either of them might have said about it. The rest of the day passed without incident, and I never saw the thing ever again. But I've never forgotten that it happened, and have never been able to come up with an answer for what it was. My hope is that maybe you guys can come up with some theories as to the nature of this thing, because at this point in my life, I'm completely dry. Thank you so much for taking the time to read my story. Love your podcast. You guys are fantastic. In the minute I'm able to, you can expect another EPP to join the ranks. I know my sister has some stories she could tell, and I plan on encouraging her to write to you guys as well. Thanks again. All the best. Lindsay.
3: That doesn't sound like anything we've heard of before.
2: A ghost snake?
3: Well, was it really a snake or was it like an orb with a tail?
2: I know. That's like the last type of thing. I. I, I was getting snake out of it. Maybe this is like the first thing that came into my mind, but yeah, because it did kind of move around and mm-hmm. it was more than like a slithery figure. Yeah. So I don't know what it was. I mean, I in, in my mind, I, I had snake going on and I was thinking that would be the worst type of ghost if you, an animal's going to show up to have.
3: <laughs> yeah, I could see
2: that. If you had to pick a ghost pet, like what, what if you had a ghost? What if you had a snake uh-huh. as a child and you loved the snake? Would you be okay with that thing coming back as a ghost?
3: If I loved it, yes.
2: You'd be okay with an unknown, slippery, slimy little snake just slithering in?
3: If if it had been a pet that I loved, yes.
2: Okay. Would you ever have a pet snake? No. Okay.
3: No. To me, uh uh-uh. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. I'm just going to say no.
2: Okay. I'm afraid to. I mean, I, I know some people really love their snakes and whatnot, and that's fine. And, you know, they are. It's all part of, you know nature they serve their purpose and then they some people love them there's nothing wrong with that to me it's just one of those pets that just kind of scares me and the the reason i bring that up specifically is a, a snake if it was showing up as a ghost is i would think that it could be confused as being something like dark you know demonic showing up because it's not a common ghost pet
3: sure to have
2: you know showing up in your home
3: right right well i wouldn't want a live snake to surprise me, let alone a dead snake. hmm Because I can get rid of a live snake. I can't get rid of a dead snake.
2: Yeah, there's probably a few more steps you need to take with the dead snakes. Yeah. I don't know how, what that would be, but <laughs> I don't think I want to find out. Emmy from Chicago writes in. Hi, this is Emmy from Chicago. I have unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, have not had any experiences of the paranormal except for a possible UFO sighting. My close friend Joe has had an experience I'd like to share. He's one of my closest friends and is like a big brother I never had. He was visiting his friend Lisa in Purdue with his friend Ray when he experienced some strange things. This is his account he sent to me. Ray and I were visiting Lisa at Purdue a few years back. Purdue is in the middle of a goddamn nowhere Indiana, so there was not much to do there. Naturally, our solution to this problem was to go ghost hunting. And Rick is a masochist. They had heard about this spot out in the country where they had been there had heard reports of spooky dealings. As you know, I am for lack of a nicer term a skeptic, so I was not expecting much to happen. This was more of a golden opportunity for Rick and me to scare the shit out of our friends. As is our way. So we drove out to this old wooden bridge in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, probably look at trees and rocks and such, and probably hear spooky wind whispers. The story there was that the bridge was used to hang slaves in the late 1800s or something. So we arrived and I parked the car in a ditch. Then, like so much Fred from Scooby-Doo, I suggest that we all split up and that Rick be my Daphne. Presumably for some old-fashioned heterosexual necking in the woods. But in reality, to do some scheming. I forgot to mention the first weird thing that happened was that Lisa mysteriously had a new message on her phone a voicemail that was like five minutes of nothing with no indication that she'd received a call. This is a fact I can report. I don't think it was a ghost chat, but it was there and it was weird. Then we split up and Rick and I started plotting. There were a bunch of hidden pentagrams and such symbols engraved on the bridge. It was weird. Thing number two, undoubtedly put there by bored Indiana youths, but again, it was there and it was spooky. That leads up to the weird thing number three. I remember commenting to Rick about how it was really eerie, how you can see campfires flicker deep within the forest and that ghosts are totally bullshit. We both had a laugh at the idea of ghosts. So naturally that is when I noticed what looked like a lady in the late 1800s appropriate garb about 60 to 80 feet away from us into the forest. And I want to say it was just a trick of light and that it was a bush. In fact, I said those exact things to Rick when I pointed her out and he absolutely confirmed what I had seen, but no, it was for sure a lady in the woods. So we both froze a bit and rationalized it away. I believe I even commented on uh, the shared delusions brought on by mild hysteria from the other creepy things that happened during the night. But it was too specific. We did not take our eyes off of it because it's totally, when it would uh, disappear and then all bets would simply be off. We both described to each other what we were seeing to make sure we both were not shitting each other. Our argument was that it was a bush, a trick of the moonlight, and an incredibly unfortunate viewing angle. But then, she very distinctly moved behind the tree she was standing next to and disappeared. So like I said earlier, all bets are off, and we Scooby-Doo booked it all the way to the other side of the bridge, where Ray, Lisa, and Rick's ex were. I still don't think it was a ghost, but I also do not have any sort of explanation for it. Joe has had lots of strange experiences of doors opening and closing on their own and pounding in his sister's room when he was alone in the house. He's still a skeptic and believes that ghosts or the paranormal are the result of mental illness.
3: That's amazing that you can have that kind of experience and still just think that ghosts are simply because of mental illness.
2: Yeah, I... No, (laughs) I don't know how you would have that.
3: Well, is he trying to say that he thinks he has a problem?
2: I'm wondering. Because, I mean, he so he had an experience. Mm-hmm. And if he's saying that anyone who's having the experience uh, would be mentally ill, then he would be saying that of himself. Yeah. Or is he taking him out of that equation, saying that this wasn't an experience?
3: I don't know. If he's a masochist anyway, he, he's got a whole heap of problems.
2: Very interesting story, though, nonetheless. It's uh, it's kind of like when we saw that, that thing in uh, in that tower mm-hmm. in West Bend. We were looking up there. It's like, well, is that a reflection? And, and we did try to rationalize it.
3: Sure. We even thought it was light coming in from a different angle.
2: Sure. Which, you know, you want to try and narrow that stuff down and go, okay, could it be this? Could it be that? And then... It moved. Yeah. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. Well, this is this is not just light. <laughs> so, yeah, it was an uh, interesting, uh, interesting experience. Thank you uh, for the uh, the letter, by the way. eight five five eight five three forty eight zero two 4802 That's our phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories Online to show your real ghost story with us. We would love to hear it. Of course, you can also write it on the website at realghoststoriesonline.com. And to share your story with us that way as well. So a couple ways to uh, to get those into us here tonight. Mike writes in, I was a skeptic until August of 2010 when I had my first paranormal experience. I visited St. Augustine, Florida, staying in a house that had been vacant for about eight years. My ex-wife had lived there and had multiple experiences of her own, prompting her, in part, to move. The house remained empty until my visit. The first night in the house, my skepticism turned to belief. Some After going to bed, I was lying on my stomach, and as best I can describe, a large mass of undulating energy descended next to me on the bed, and something started playing with the toes on my left foot. I instantaneously knew I had experienced something paranormal. It was unequivocal, leaving no doubt in my mind as to what was happening. I lay there for about 15 minutes trying to calmly observe the phenomena. The next day, I informed my ex wife she wasn't crazy after all. I contacted a local paranormal group who performed an investigation about two weeks later. Based on the straight of their first investigation, they returned multiple times, consistently capturing some high quality EVPs. Another group had similar results. When I returned to my home in Indiana, I discovered that the activity had followed me. Again, some high quality Class A EVPs, along which other evidence was recorded. In addition, many investigators had personal experiences consistent with the nature of the haunting, which is primarily physical. It's not unusual to be bumped, nudged, poked, slapped, tugged, your feet played with while in bed, etc. The activity shows no signs of abating. Instead, it is increased in intensity, becoming aggressive at times. The physical aspect of the haunting is, of course, difficult to document objectively. However, In my opinion, it represents some of the most convincing evidence. Being grasped by what is clearly an unseen hand will make you a believer faster than anything. By the way, the activity is ongoing. Although I have no definite answers, my working hypothesis is that I have a spirit attachment and not necessarily a friendly one. I documented my experience in a short 10-minute video I posted on Vimo. I tried to make it entertaining and hope that you'll take the time to check it out. I assure you, none of the evidence was fabricated in any way. It'll give you a better feeling for the nature and chronology of the events that began in August of 2010. If you have any questions, please contact anytime. Sincerely, Mike. Did you get a chance to watch it at all?
3: I did not. Ooh. So we'll have to watch that.
2: Be very interesting. What do you think of the experience? You
3: know, I think. Part of me wonders if he would have said it was a paranormal experience if his ex-wife hadn't said something to begin with.
2: Like, pointed it out?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: If she had just not said anything about thinking it was haunting, haunted, if mm-hmm. he still would have thought it was a haunting or just a weird sensation in his leg.
2: he just kind of written it off like, "Ah, oh, this is nothing.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But... It's pretty hard to argue with seeing a, you know, a wavy-like energy mass come and sit on your bed.
2: Yeah, that's one of those things where if it happens, it's pretty, I I guess you'd say hard evidence mm-hmm. that there's something paranormal going on there. It was a very interesting story. Thank you for... Uh for writing that in. Our phone number here is 855-853-4802 to share your real ghost story with us. We'd absolutely love to hear it. Of course, you can also go to the website and do it as well. If you've not done so, please press subscribe on whatever platform it is you may be listening to us on. uh, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, lots of ways to get those stories to us. Let's go to a caller. Hi.
0: Hi, Tony and Jenny. This is Sarah calling. I've called in before. Um, I just can't believe what I just heard about the story. Richard in Chattanooga um, uh, taping that you did. Um, The first thing is, I was listening to a a few different old Art Bell um, Coast to Coast AM recordings by him interviewing Malachi Martin, who's um, a Catholic priest who does exorcisms, and he's been in it for quite a long time. I don't know if he's still alive, but he was talking about um, people that are Satan worshippers that promise their children to other, um, to the next. They have a demon basically that that follows them throughout their lives and is their familiar. Which is in Wicca, it's uh, like the animal that takes is your companion basically and does things for you so um i was thinking that sounds really strange but then from what richard is saying that that sounds like he is the one who's supposed to be taking on the demon in the next after his mom passes away anyway it's really scary and hard to believe the second thing was that when i heard that uh strange breathy whispering sound the first couple of times you'd played it in the past episode, I felt sick to my stomach. And then you just mentioned that more than one person had felt physically ill. So that just scares the shit out of me. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you for your, um, your ongoing commitment to, to this topic. I find it very interesting. I've listened to every single episode I can find. And, uh, thanks very much again. Take care. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you for calling in and uh, sharing your thoughts on uh, one of the most uh, intriguing topics or, or ongoing stories that we had on the show here with Richard in Chattanooga.
3: We had several people say that they became ill hearing that.
2: That's one of the weirder things that I've ever heard mm-hmm. on the show was was about that. Yeah. Where, where they would actually get, you know, ill. And I don't know that it's necessarily the power of suggestion. I mean... Either Because there was several different ways that those messages had come into us before we even said anything about it on the air.
3: Right. We were definitely told about it. Um, Yeah, you're right, before we said anything on the air. So people were feeling that before we ever, you know, mentioned it or talked about that being a possibility.
2: Yeah, it it wasn't like, oh, it was on a message board and then everybody kind of jumps on that. Oh, me too, you know. I mean, there's some of that that did exist but there was like emails that came in before it was even on a message board. And then one platform over here where people were commenting and a completely different platform over here. People are commenting and saying the same thing. I don't know. When I put that show together the other week and, and put together just kind of the recap of it, I played it a couple of (laughs) times. I'm like, here, listen to this again, everybody. Um, and it wasn't like, Hey, let's all get sick. It was just, here's what people were reporting. And here's what the sound was. And, um, it was it was just very odd then to to get that again especially with a lot of new listeners who uh, who for the first time heard that story mm-hmm. um, and it still happened yeah I don't know what that means
3: I don't know either I don't think it's a good thing
2: yeah I would love to get an update from Richard to hear what's going on in his world these days just even if just a quick note just saying hey you know I don't know if he's still even listening I, you know I have no idea. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm also somewhat uh, hesitant to reach out as well.
3: <laughs> sure.
2: Just because, I mean, the topic itself, if, if he did indeed have all these weird things going on, I don't necessarily want to be the active participant in like, hey, let's talk more about this. If it were to somehow, uh, if things have calmed down. Yeah. To like stir conjure, it up. Yeah, conjure it back up, stir it back up or whatever. Sure. You know, so.
3: And that might be why we haven't heard from him.
2: That could be, you're, yeah, you could be exactly right. It may just be like, okay, he's not going to, you know, play with fire here. Sure. So, I don't know. I, I hope everything is well for him. Uh, 855-853-4802. That's her phone number at Real Ghost Stories Online. Sarah Stone writes in, hi, I'm from York, England. I'm 41-year-old housewife. My husband and I have four children, age 14, 12, 5, and 2 years. I've always been interested in the paranormal and such, but have never seen a ghost or experienced anything out of the ordinary until about a year ago. We've always lived in the same house for 20 years with nothing. But about a year and a half ago, unnerving things started to happen. Our elderly neighbor who is lovely and has lived in his house since it was built in the 1930s became ill and had to go into the hospital. He asked us to look after his house, draw the curtains and such things, Now, he has never before asked us to do this. In all the while, we've lived here. I had to go through those drawers, looking for his socks, bed things, and had the strongest feeling I've ever had that someone was watching me. Every day, I went into this feeling, and it got worse, to the point I literally couldn't walk through the front door anymore. I asked my sister what I should do. She is more versed in these situations. She said I should say out loud what I'm doing there, and where our neighbor has gone. I went in and did it, and the atmosphere lifted enough that I could go in again, but not upstairs still, though. Even my husband, who is very much a man's man and not scared of anything, said he felt very uneasy upstairs. Anyway, our neighbor recovered and came home, but that's when the activity in our house started. A bit about my husband. His name is Andy, and as I said, he's very much the alpha male type, a great bloke, not the kind that Believes easily in ghosts, but I believe he is sensitive to such things, as he has had lots of ghosts appear to him. Only after coaxing will he tell you about it, and he's just puzzled by it all. Anyway, the first thing that happened in our house was Andy went to the loo, and when he had finished, turned around to leave, stood at the other end of the hall. There was a boy just looking at him, smiling after about two seconds. He just wasn't there anymore and Andy was really puzzled. Like I said, nothing scares him. So next thing was, he was lying at the bottom bunk bed with one of the kids' rooms. All of the small kids were with me. It was late, but he was just finishing on his phone and had put it down and just shut his eyes when he felt the weight of someone sits on his bed. He thought it was our 12-year-old boy, so he opened his eyes to the sensation and left uh, the, the, the sensation that no one was there. So he thought to himself, here we go. He was excited about the fact that he may see something. I told you he wasn't scared of anything. And he shut his eyes and pretended to be asleep. Almost straight away, something sat down next to him. He quickly opened his eyes and thought he saw a glimpse of a boy, but it went away again, and the room was empty. After that, things like that would be running upstairs, and he'd swear someone was running behind him, turning to talk to him, but no one was there. And he was sleeping in another room when he woke up to a strong feeling that someone was in the room with him. He looked around the room but couldn't see anything, so he got up for a wee and then back into bed. He lied back down. It was very dark and someone was lying in bed next to him. He came behind him. He jumped up, looked around, and saw a flash of lights emanating from down the side of the bed for a couple of seconds. He got up, turned the light on, and checked under the bed, around for anything like a toy that could cause that, but found nothing. He just went back to bed. The other things that have happened, my two-year-old girl started to see things. She'd walk into the room and then come running out screaming in terror and jumped up on me, shaking like a leaf, saying, "'Boy's legs!' She did this a lot, sometimes refusing to go into a room for no reason." We were in the kitchen one time and I was putting her shoes on. She was happy and in a good mood when she looked into the corner and screamed and started panicking and scrambling for me, shaking, saying, boy's legs. She would not let me put her down, buried her head in my chest, and I had to put her in the sling until we went out. She stuck very close to me for the rest of the day, but not like her at all. But other times she would stop and stare at the wall and start laughing for five minutes or so. She did this once and I asked her what she was looking at. She said, The baby is pulling faces, copying the boy. That freaked me out. She's a happy, normal two year old girl and we don't talk about any of this in front of her. She's always talking about the boy or the boy's legs, which really scare her. I get mad and shout for it to leave her alone. I've had my hair pulled on two occasions, one gentle tug, but the next time was in bed asleep when someone woke me up by really ragging my hair about. I thought it was one of my kids and started playing, but when I opened my eyes, no one was there. Just my little girl in with me, and she was fast asleep. I turned the lamp on, didn't sleep much for the rest of the night. One of the other things that happened to me was while I was Taking the one of my daughters to school, we just stepped outside the door and had almost closed the door to lock it when I heard, clear as day, someone running down the stairs at full pelt towards the front door and us. My first thought was that I had left one of the kids in the house and that they were running towards the door as to not be locked in. I started to open the door again, but then, to my horror, I realized there were no other people in the house. "'The other kids had all already gone to school. "'I slammed the door shut just as the sound of the running "'reached the back of the door and stepped back quickly. "'I stared at the door, fully expecting someone to slam it "'into the back of the door, but they didn't. "'Nothing. "'I was very shaken and scared, "'and when I had dropped off my child at school, "'I dared not go back home. "'I wandered around with my little girl for a bit. "'Then we went home when I'd calmed down. "'Nothing was out of place.' The most recent thing to happen was I'd been in town and I'd just gotten home. I'd forgotten my keys, so I knocked on the door. I knew my husband was in bed because he was working late, so he needed to sleep. Also, I had my 12-year-old boy with me, but a few seconds after I knocked, someone knocked on the window of the living room from the inside, as if to say, I'm coming, hang on. I and my boy both looked across when we heard this and saw an arm pulling away from the window. I thought my hubby had gotten up early, so we waited. No one came to the door, so we looked through the window, and no one was there. About five minutes after a lot of banging on the door, we heard my hubby come down the stairs, and he opened the door, all weary-eyed, as if we woke him up. So who banged on the window? I just have become an EPP. Thanks, guys. Sorry the story is so long you and your wife are awesome I searched for ages for books telling paranormal real stories but never thought of a podcast brilliant I found it on YouTube
3: and I'm glad you did find us yeah I hope things clear up for you and your four children and your husband
2: I I think one of the interesting things of that is where the uh, the husband was lying down on the bed and then he fake closed his eyes Mm -hmm. and that somehow kind of tricked the spirit a little bit yeah, you know it's it's interesting that they they were unaware that he really wasn't sleeping. Mm-hmm. Just with what you know what they normally can sense or can't sense, and they'd be like, "Ah, eh, bullshit! You're you know, we're gonna wait till you're really sleeping to start doing this stuff."
3: I really want to know what boy's legs means.
2: I don't know. He's mentioned a couple times,
3: like. It makes you wonder if she's seeing a little boy and there's something wrong with his legs, Mm -hmm. like they're torn up or they're bleeding or something, and that's what's scaring her.
2: Or is she only seeing boys' legs?
3: No, she's seeing the boy because in another part of the story, she said there was a baby and a boy and they were making faces at each other and the two-year-old was laughing about that.
2: Okay. yeah, you're right there. I was just thinking maybe, you know, it's like older, uh, you know, style clothing and such where you could really distinctly tell. Uh You know, I'm just I'm picturing almost, um, you know, like the the image of the uh, the imaginary friend.
3: Okay. yeah.
2: The the get up Mm -hmm. that was worn in, in, in more so those days of that being out there. Like and, 20s
3: or 30s. Yeah,
2: and then go, oh, okay, boy's legs. This is like a boy's uniform or outfit or something.
3: See, I, I would think more as she's seeing a boy and there's something wrong with his legs. Yeah. And it's scaring her.
2: I wonder uh, if there's any, you know, if it's possible to look at the history of the property a little bit more to see if there was something that happened there. And, I mean, that may be the answer. hmm You know, it'd be very interesting. It, it's disturbing to, to know that your child is seeing something That you're not saying, number one. Yeah. But then number two, if it's like a disturbing image. Right. I don't like that.
3: You know, I almost wonder, since Sarah is a mother of four, Mm -hmm. and she was overtaking care of the elderly neighbor's home while he was in the hospital, if it wasn't something that was in his home that became attached to Sarah because of her motherly type presence.
2: Oh, I see what you're saying. It was kind of like finding some comfort there. Mhm. And oh, I'm going to stick around here
3: and came home with her.
2: I could see that. We've heard we've had stories like that, haven't we? Where where things tend to latch on to people at at some hospitals.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But this wasn't even at the hospital. This was just at the neighbor's home. Sure. So, it makes you wonder if maybe that's what it was was that he felt comforted, especially when she approached it and spoke to it and said you know here's where the guy is he's in the hospital i'm mm-hmm. just here taking care of the house
2: she's the one that was initiating the conversation
3: mm-hmm. makes you wonder if that's oh. part of the reason that it followed her home
2: yeah very interesting story thank you for writing that into us and if you don't mind we'll write back with maybe some of those answers if uh, if you don't mind 855-853-4802. That's our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Let's go to a caller, Leslie. Hi.
1: Um, Yes, my name is Leslie, and I'm calling in to tell a very short story. Um, when I was about 10 or 9, um, we lived in a trailer uh, off so of a highway. And my mom was at work. I was in my room. I had the um, TV turned up really loud and I was playing one of my games. And to me, someone was breaking in the house. And when I looked into the TV screen, I seen a shadow person walk in the hallway. I could see the reflection of it. It walked behind me, I guess. And there's no windows in the hallway to be able to see the people that are outside. And they were on the completely different side Of the trailer. Well, this caused me to turn down my TV, and I heard them messing with the um, doorknob, and I proceeded to run out the front door. And for a long time, I always thought it was my great-grandpa because it had like a cowboy hat, and the pictures I've seen of him, always he wore a cowboy hat. Well, that's the story I wanted to tell. Thanks. Bye.
2: Interesting.
3: That's another story of a shadow person possibly doing something good.
2: Yeah, I, we should start a, a support group <laughs> for positive shadow people.
3: Positive shadow people.
2: Not all shadow people are bad. Um. Yeah, a very interesting story. Thank you for uh, for uh, calling that into us here at Real Ghost Stories Online. We got an update from a listener um, uh, in response to one of the things that we've talked about a couple times in the show, and I guess I've I've been giving the wrong actor who is uh, being uh, part of this movie, and this was about the uh, the remake of The Shining. The remake of The Shining that was done in uh, at the Stanley Hotel.
3: Okay.
2: Um, this is one that was actually filmed at the Stanley because mm-hmm. he he wrote it there. But then the the set of the original Stephen King one was not at the Stanley Hotel. The only one that was actually filmed at the Stanley was uh, the the made for TV remake in the nineties. Uh, and it, I thought it was Rob Lowe for a long time. It was Stephen Weber.
3: Oh, sure. From Wings. Okay, I remember that.
2: Did you remember seeing that? Now that I, I do remember
3: that, I didn't remember Rob Lowe.
2: Yeah, now that I've said who it was, does it it kind of ring more of a bell now?
3: Yes, I do remember that.
2: Yeah, that was. Uh, it wasn't a bad movie for a cool. remake, you know.
3: No, it wasn't.
2: But uh, there you go. Uh, Stephen King did write the story. There, it was filmed in '97. Uh, da, 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 very well done during winter and the off season uh, apparently don't always close either from two thousand one to two thousand and two this is a season that this uh, listener stayed there. uh they were open, their rooms were cheaper um they said if they'd assume if it snowed too much, they may have to close, which in some cases I you know you just can't get back there, yeah, so i I don't know if they would stay open just for the locals. <laughs> You know, sure. Hey, you can't get out of your driveway, but hey, come stay at the Stanley. You know, I don't know, but uh, so I guess you're not always closed. But I, I suppose you know it makes you know some sense. I mean, there is you know skiing and and all that out there too. So okay, so there you go. Uh, I, I'm 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 happy that it was corrected. I, I would love to know if that's on DVD. That would be a good one to find.
3: You know, the other guy from Wings was in a. Stephen King miniseries during the 90s, but I can't remember what it is.
2: I miss the old Stephen King miniseries. Those are always good. They used to do a lot of them, like on network TV and stuff. Mm-hmm. Does network TV even do, like, made-for-TV movies anymore? Is that, like, all just relegated to Lifetime now?
3: I don't know. I haven't watched network TV in so long. Everything I watch is Netflix or on-demand.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of, like, made-for-Netflix things now. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, does, uh, does ABC or NBC or CBS ever flip the bill and go, hey, uh, okay, we're going to, you know, do a, a miniseries. And if they do, it's, I don't, I don't know what the last one would have been. It's been several years.
3: I used to love miniseries. One of my all-time favorite movies was a miniseries.
2: What, uh, Lonesome Dove? Yes. And that was, a, that was not, a, those are they're, they're not cheap to do.
3: No, that was a wonderful movie.
2: And when they can do, you know, uh, a bunch of reality programming for, you know, one-fiftieth of the cost mm-hmm. and get just as many viewers, if not more, they probably go to the other way. Yeah. But then you get Lifetime. I don't know. I mean, I'm amazed that sometimes the cable networks are able to um, afford some of the the made-for TV movies that they do make. Sure. But then again, they do run them. It's not... Made-for-TV movies used to run like once and done. Maybe they'd run it again in summer. Yeah. You know, so you have like one chance to make money on it. So that's probably how they make money. I'm just thinking of it. They run the movie like 400 times that year. Yeah, I get think that's how the
3: Hallmark Channel got started. That's how
2: it works. hmm uh, Interesting. We figured something out
1: here tonight. There you
2: <laughs> go. If you like the show, please help. Keep us on the air. Uh, become an EPP. Sign up on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. It's only 5 bucks a month to get access to all of our bonus episodes uh, and a brand new one every single week, and it keeps the show going. Check it out, realghoststoriesonline.com. Click become an EPP. Until next time, for Jenny Bruschi, I'm Tony Bruschi. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online.